Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. So, Jonathan, welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, It's great to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And who do you work for? Yeah, thanks. So, um, well, if I, if I think back, I've, I've been in uh, sort of technology for over 20 years. Um, that puts me uh, sort of more towards retirement than starting out afresh uh, as a tech graduate. But I, I started my life as a, a software engineer a long, long time ago. Um, and I always say that using technologies that I'm probably too embarrassed to talk about, uh, but I moved uh, quite quickly into a, a management and leadership role uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, and since then, I've been managing uh, different software teams, different domains, different shapes and sizes um, over the last 15 years. Uh, but more recently, I joined a startup at the beginning, now a scale-up called Kagita which is a a B2B marketplace uh, for the wholesale trade. Um, And we've been uh, growing uh, an engineering team there uh, and it's been uh, a great ride so far. So what problem in the market is Kogita solving? Yeah, so it's it's a really interesting problem actually, and how it how it came about is really interesting because uh, Yaniv, who's the founder, um, he's our CEO. He basically wanted to open up an e-commerce uh, platform. Uh, he wanted to uh, to do that. Um, he'd done a master's, and then he, he he focused in on that. But very quickly, he realised that actually, if you're buying um, products from the wholesale market, uh, it's it's quite a challenge to do so because actually the, the situation is that um, wholesalers have a lot of their own rules. Uh, and so what what's key to you if you're going to be buying from the wholesale market and then selling them on in your own platform is getting a good price. Mm. Um, and what actually is the, the case is you can't really compare prices very easy with each other because there's lots of different rules. So you might have rules associated with a minimum order value from a particular wholesaler, or you might have different uh, prices for different quantities. We're very familiar with that. Mm. And of course, these prices will change on a regular basis. And you've got, you know, maybe eight to 10 wholesalers all offering this particular product. And so, you know, how do you know whether you've got a good price? And so what happened was that uh, Yaniv decided that maybe this was a more interesting space to to look into. Mm. Uh, he, he got in contact with somebody, uh, a guy called Michael, who was doing a PhD in Oxford at the time, um, around how could, can, can you do, can you help me with some optimization algorithm uh, to help uh, solve this problem? And so that's what he created. And they created a, a website and we've not really looked back because actually it's a problem that everybody in this space needs to solve. I love it. That's great. So coming back to yourself then, Jonathan, shining a light on you as a person, what's the thing that rocks your boat, really kind of gets you jumping out of bed in the morning? What's your passion? Yeah, I, I think I, I think I found my passion reasonably early on. Uh, my, my history, I suppose, gave you an indication of that, was that, you know, I was an engineer for a while. I enjoyed doing that. I, I 
I could do it. I was doing a good job, but I think it was the um, the people aspect uh, of, of working in technology and the combination of the two that really, uh, I suppose you could say, float my boat because mm. I think that's where I think that's where my strengths lie. Uh, I think sort of understanding people, knowing how to get the best out of them, um, because you know I I know what. I want people to do for me to get the best out of me, and, mm. and so it was a natural sort of progression uh, into that. So it's it's working with people, um, working with some really smart people as you do within technology, uh, and, and essentially, you know, how can I support them? Because I'm not writing any code, I'm not mm. I'm not testing anything, but how can I be a multiplier and support them and get the best out of them uh, yes. using my skills, uh, using what I've learned, my experience maybe mistakes that I've made along the road and, and are correcting for those over the, that long period of time within tech leadership. I've got some notes here from our conversations offline. Measurement and performance, scoring the wrong thing. Tell us about that. Well, I suppose, I mean, that comes down to, um, I suppose, one of the, the mistakes learning as a very young, naive engineering manager um, mm. and, and being, uh, I suppose, a bit wet behind the ears and wanting to do a good job and so you know typically in a lot of business settings uh, metrics and performance are, are very sort of key you go along to to meetings and the sales team have got their graphs and charts around how they're doing and measurements on different aspects and so there's an expectation that you know we are, we're aligned in that and that we bring our own metrics to the table to, to demonstrate you know how we're improving because everyone wants to see every department in the business improve you mm. know how are you getting better and so we then uh, particularly within engineering then sort of think well you know what can we demonstrate uh, improvement and so i suppose early on i used some probably quite sort of naive approaches uh, to metrics not just me i i i think the first one that uh, was something that when, when i was an actual engineer was wasn't one that i used but look back on it now and think oh that wasn't a, a great approach but the thing with this is, and, and the thing with a lot of types of metrics is, often the intention can be really good. It's the execution that's not so good. Right. Uh, and if you spend a bit of time thinking about it, you could maybe have thought about that this might be the implication. So the, the, the one I often refer to was something, and this is a long time ago, when you got to remember building software uh, used to take a lot longer than it, than it currently does. Um, and so um, if you broke the build, it would be quite a big deal and you'd have to spend quite a lot of time um, mm. resetting that and, and doing it again. So we had in my the first company I worked at, it was something called the Build Break Hall of Shame. Uh, and what it was, was uh, if you as, as an engineer had made a change that caused the build to break, uh, you got a point Mm. And there was a league table on the on the wall, which showed the, the major culprits. So, mm. you know, the more times you broke the build, the higher up the league table that you got. And of course, the idea was to, to you know, cut out wasted time to make sure people were uh, doing, um, you know, checking on quality and that type of thing, mm. uh, which is a good thing. Uh, but what, what actually happened was that engineers were maybe checking things in in one big go because they thought, well, if I break the build, then I'm only going to break it once. Mm. Or, or or they were trying to do other things that is not really what we wanted to, want them to, because, uh, but it's all because you've put something in place. Mm. And what happens is that you put something in place, inevitably people work towards that. It, it affects their behavior. It changes the way they behave. And of course, 
that's the reason why we do it. Mm. But sometimes those behaviors that we get are not the ones that we wanted. So right. in this case, you were getting different behaviors. You were you were not getting the behavior you want, which you wanted, which was a greater sort of quality. You were getting people, because they didn't want to be shamed, understandably so, uh, being reluctant to commit a lot of work or, or to commit work regularly. They were doing it in one big go, which again, it's not a, um, it's a bit of an anti-pattern when it comes to software engineering. So it's that type of thing that sort of really I sort of got my, and then going on from that, it was, there was more examples of, and when I became an engineering manager and engineering leader of, oh, you know, there's these things which are good things to do, but we, you know, we know that engineers are smart people and they can game things. So you've got that aspect of it, mm. uh, but, but also that they, you know, there's maybe things that you put in place that are potentially in tension with each other. So of course, you know, we want people to be very productive. And so we, we focus around sort of maybe velocity, mm. um, but then if that's all we're focused on and maybe not quality, then we've got that mismatch and we've got things that are in tension. So it's that type of thing that really, I suppose, um, got me to really have to think about how we use metrics and, and just be really careful about it. And so going forward then as a tech leader, do you still have measurements What's your tip going forward then? I think, yeah, I, I mean, if you can't get away from it and, and some measurements are right and, and good and proper and depending on what we want to do as a business, then we, we should be looking to improve on certain things. I, my tip would be just to go into it with your eyes wide open. So, and also to involve the team in how you put the metrics in place. So I think often the team know what good looks like. They know what, um, is important and therefore important to the business. So try and think about stuff that offers your customers value and try to set metrics around that rather mm. than some arbitrary proxy, you know, because bug counts, yeah, okay, they're, they're a sort of proxy for quality. You can sort of see that, but you, you've got to be really careful there. And other things, velocity, yeah, that's a proxy for productivity, but you've got to be really careful there. So try and take on metrics that make sense to your business. And that ultimately is customer value and, and focus around that. So that, that'll be my tip. Um, but yeah, just think through them, work with the team and realize that actually customer value is is the most important metric of all of them. Absolutely. Customer centricity. And another topic that you mentioned, again, offline, that I kind of noticed that you're very passionate about was uh, human centricity. Do you want to speak to that? I think one of the key added value that I think as, as a sort of manager and a leader, and I work with my engineering managers on this, is the idea of how do I motivate somebody? How do I get them engaged in what they're doing? So a lot of that is around purpose motive. If people understand why they're being asked to do what they're doing, I think that's a great start. I think if I look back to when I started my life as an engineer and Agile has been a wonderful thing. I think a lot of people are very grateful for that. We were very much a waterfall uh, way of doing it, but I'm not really focusing on the process at this point. I want to talk about uh, how we used to work and we used to work by a business analyst creating a massive specification. I mean, you'd be like 30, 40 pages long with uh, little sort of uh, wireframes or screenshots of like where buttons should be and what should happen if you press that button. And almost you were then a code monkey. You were there just to translate what they had decided the customer wanted, you know, in, in some case, speaking with the customer and then putting that into um, into code. And 
that's all we knew at the time. Uh, now, I think if I look at my engineers, what I really want them to be able to do is to be able to, to contribute into the, you know, how we do that. And that can be, it can be technology choice, but it can also be how we go about solving a particular customer problem. And you see the engineers in the team know what's possible. You know, sort of the maybe people in the business know what the customer wants, but engineers know what's possible. And so what we try to do, and we've done quite a lot sort of more recently, is to get engineers involved earlier in the process. So it's not a case of, here, here's a feature that I want you to code. It's here's a customer problem. Let's sit down and talk about it together. And, and that encourages the engineers to understand the business. So they've got to take responsibility and getting an understanding of what the customer needs, what the customer wants. It's not just the domain of the product team, although they're, they're leading on that, but they're also then able to go, okay, if that's the problem, how about this solution? Or, hey, if we use this technology, we could try this. And we bring them into the process earlier. And it's really engaging. Uh, we've just had a week where we've done sort of workshopping around uh, product product briefs. So the product manager would do some product research. They'd come to the engineering team. The engineering team had some time to read it, to prepare. Some of them even then went off and did their own research. And then they come together and they sort of brainstorm ideas. And look, a lot of those ideas might not work, but a lot of those are coming from the engineers. So it's not just reliant upon the product team then to come up with, oh, okay, this is how we solve the problem. We've got more people involved and it's a really engaging. And we had some feedback from it, said how much the team really enjoyed it. Because that's what's really important is the understanding of why and then to complete the full circle is once you've gone through the execution phases is that feedback loop so that engineers know how what they've developed has impacted the customer. I remember uh, in a previous company where I worked when we were working on a particular part of the system with to do with our loyalty program and there was a, a great story from one of the customers that was shared with the engineering team about how what we'd done and how we created it had impacted their lives because they were able to sort of save up for a particular difficult situation at home. They were able to save up their loyalty points. And it, it's really engaging because after all, we're, we're humans and we're impacting other humans in what we create. And so to engage in that really motivates people because you feel like there is a real purpose. I, okay, I'm earning a salary, but what I'm doing actually makes a difference. It makes a difference. And, yeah, and, and, we, and I think we've got to get, get away from the idea that, oh, you've just got, you've got to work for a non-profit. You're going to be a tech, tech engineer at a non-profit to make a difference. I think, you know, a lot of the profit organizations, you can still make a, a big impact on what you're doing. You know, mm. we often sort of talk about actually what we're doing at Kagita is simplifying the wholesale market. Uh, and by that is we're reducing the number of um, uh, transactions that may need to take place. And therefore, if we're reducing the number of transactions, probably then the number of shipments. And then that's that's good for, um, you know, I don't want to get too carried away, but yes. that's good for our environment. Because Absolutely. Yes. There's fewer transactions. And so it's that type of thing that, you know, I think you can get in the heads of the engineers as well. Then mm. you get a, a, a greater overall uh, performance. I love that. It's finding that higher purpose that we can align around. 
And also the tools do make a difference to people's businesses, which are kind of small and large. Uh, there's efficiencies, as you mentioned, and what have you. I'm curious as to how you get that feedback loop to your kind of engineers, because I totally agree with you. Engineers seeing the impact that their code is having on the customer. How do, the cust- how do you get that customer feedback back to the engineers? Do you have like comments or what does that look yeah. like? So I've, we, we try to have a close relationship with the product team who have a close relationship with their stakeholders. So it might be an internal stakeholder in the business or it might be a customer. But we, we want to make sure that that feedback, whether it's a review that's left online or whether it's one of our, you know, one of my teams is working directly with some of our internal teams. And it's great because what they're doing is automating a lot of their processes that are very frustrating and very manual. And so it's nice because it's our internal team. We can get that feedback quite quickly. We get like some of our operations teams saying, hey, you've made my life 10 times better because of this new feature that you've put in. Really grateful. You know, I don't have to, you know, less likely to make mistakes in this area. And mm-hmm. and so you get that sort of connection sort of naturally in, the, in those cases. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's really important to, to have that feedback mechanism and for people to know that what a difference their, their stuff's making. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. I remember as an engineer myself, how important it was to me. So yeah, it's good to know. So here we go. What's the thing that keeps you up at night, Jonathan? As a tech leader, I can imagine it's really tough. Lots going on. It's all a bit VUCA. What's the thing that keeps you up at night, the challenge? I think any tech leader would, would sort of say that the reliability of their platform, that, that something is is working well, Actually, just just coming back to the feedback mechanism, I think another reason why it's really important for engineers to get that type of feedback is that we're often getting a lot of the other feedback. Oh, like, why is this broken? Or, you know, why is there a bug here? And and Mm. stuff like that. So we can be, if we're not careful, the the message that engineers can get is like, oh, you've broken this, you've broken that. So back to your question. Yeah, I think I think the overall reliability of the platform is key because ultimately our business depends upon it. Mm. We don't have a business without our platform. I, I suppose like a, uh, a retail uh, section where you've got your, your bricks and mortar shops and you've got an online presence. Mm. We've just got this online presence. That's all our business is. And so if that breaks, then our business is not operating. And, and that then transcends into everything that you do in terms of the quality of the work that's produced by the engineering team and different aspects of what you choose to do and, and maybe risks you choose to take or don't take. So I think that's the thing that you're always aware of. We used to have uh, a previous company that I worked at is a little bit different, but where we'd have like uh, major incidents or P1s, we'd have post-mortems. And at the end of every post-mortem, the outage would be translated into cost to business you know, and it could get into the millions. And so it's very stark and I, I suspect that's why it was done. So the engineers don't become complacent and say, okay, oh, you know, it was just an outage for 30 minutes. Well, actually that translated into, you know, $2.2 million worth of sales yes. um, during that time. I'm curious as to your style of leadership as well. What's your style? How do you roll as a leader? It's, it's hard to sum up, uh, I suppose, a style in a sort of pithy statement. But what I would say I try and lead with is is autonomy. Mm. Um, and I'll qualify that a little bit and say that's guided autonomy. So I'd, I'm a big believer that you bring in people who are, are good at what they do, mm. and then you, you give them the parameters in which they work, and then you allow them to do that. Again, I think that's motivating for them. Yes, um, I think it allows them to be uh, creative 
uh, yep. innovative, which again, within a tech space is what you want. Because if I look at um, products and platforms that have really uh, shifted the needle a lot, they're the ones that have not been afraid to try out new innovations, new ways of doing stuff. Yes. Um, and, and so that's what I want for my team. And I can only do that if I give them autonomy, if I give them the, the problem space and then say, okay, you tell me how, how we, we solve that. Now, it's something I learned along my managerial career was that that in itself is not enough. You know, I think because I was a strong believer in autonomy, I think at the beginning, I would be just like, right, we need to do this, go ahead and do it. And, and just almost allow people to, I think you need to define the problem and create those sort of, uh, I suppose, guardrails or what you're trying to achieve and be a little bit sort of closer to it rather than just a free-for-all autonomy. Mm. So I, I think I've course-corrected a little bit and, and made sure that that autonomy is what I call guided autonomy. But I suppose that's a key aspect of, of, of how I lead. Yes, that sounds great. That's brilliant. I've got a question here around organisational growth. Any tips to the tech leaders, our tech leader audience, around foundations for growth? I think I think you'll always get growing pains. I think, I think I'm hesitant to sort of say that, you know, there's a magic bullet that if you put these sort of things in place, then those grow. Because I think in particular, if you're scaling and scaling quickly, you've got all the challenges of uh, that growing teams will face. Like you're onboarding people quite frequently. Um, there's people who don't know the platform trying to train other people who don't know the platform because mm. the business needs to scale at a particular. So you're going to have those type of things, I think, regardless of say something structural that you put in place. I think as well then, I mean, there's lots of books around sort of team topologies and what makes sense for different sort mm -hmm. of stages of, of evolution. I think one thing that helps all of that is having, it comes back to communication, but it comes back to change management and having, um, you know, being able to communicate like why we're changing and what we're doing, because inevitably you will be doing quite a lot of change. And certainly what we've had in our last year at, at Kagita, you know, the, the engineering team, a year ago is very different in terms of how it looks, how it works, its processes to what it is now. We've been through several changes along along that journey. And when you're changing things, then it can be quite difficult for people because people like to feel comfortable in a particular situation and they get used to it. And, and, and then you sort of change and pivot. And that can be really hard. Mm. I actually worked at an organization where uh, and it, it's one of my, uh, I suppose, bugbears in terms of um, the way in which technical organizations often work, and that's reorganizations. I mean, every every tech company I've worked in has had a reorganization. And this particular company had about four in the space of 18 months, and they were large-scale reorganizations. So you just get used to how you were currently sort of set up, and then somebody had come in. And I, and I think some of that is necessary. We absolutely need to be prepared to reorg. I suspect sometimes there was other reasons for doing so. I think sometimes a tech leader comes into a, a new organization. It's rather like a football manager he comes into a team and goes, okay, the first thing I need to do is to clear out the old manager's ways of doing things and, and stamp my authority on that. I understand that, but sometimes I think we go too far and people just go, okay, I'm going to reorg for reorg's sake. Change um, for change's sake, yeah. A little bit, a little bit. So, yeah, that's, that's something that I'm mindful of. You know, if you're at a, a scale-up, which I am, there is going to be change, and it's just about supporting people through that and being really open and transparent about why you're doing what you're doing. 
like there's a purpose for it mm. and also to try to sort of as you're doing that to, to to try and answer the question okay well you know what's in it for the engineer in in this so to try and sort of switch it around because it's very clear often what the, what's in it for the business yes and i'm not i'm not saying be sort of like silly and, and and come up with made up things like oh this is good for you and your career development if you don't really mean it i'm, I'm very keen on being um you know authentic in in terms of how i lead mm. but if you can you you should sort of talk to people about okay well this is happening and this is why this is positive uh one thing i've really um been really sort of keen on uh and it's somebody an engineering leader i talked to um from another company who'd done this and i really like it is this idea of reteaming I don't know if you've come across that. And this is this is the idea where because I think a lot of reorganizations I've been involved in involve a number of senior leaders uh, sitting in a darkened room with uh, people's names rather like chess pieces being moved around on a board and saying, okay, well, what this person this per in this team and this person this team, and then it's presented as a a fait accompli to the to the engineers what reteaming is sort of turns that on its head and says these are the teams that we need these are the different areas that they're going to be working on you tell me which preference of teams you want to work in and we'll try and accommodate that uh and i, and I, I love it because there's so many good things about it it means that people regularly get to sort of change and experience a different which is great for their own personal development and growth mm. they get to work with different people so learning from different people um, and also they get to be able to, you know, they, they, they have ownership of, of the decision that they've sort of taken. And then, you know, when when they're frustrated with something, they can't mm. then turn around and sort of say, oh, fed up of working in that team because, mm. well, actually you chose to. That's right. Um, so that's something that uh, I've seen happen. With, or it's something that we'll be doing at, at some point in the near future, I think, as well. That's great. And what came up for me was uh, the risk and opportunity register on that, you know, on that particular thing, the reteaming. So, I mean, what what are the risks that you've seen in, in <laughs> happening? Well, I haven't. I've seen it elsewhere, and I, and I haven't sort of done it. But the, the risks are, and and this is the the rationale often given for not doing is, oh, well, firstly, well, you know, all my experts in this particular domain area are going to disappear. And they're mm. going to go somewhere else, or or, or people are going to choose to work in a particular area, but nobody left to to re, to sort this out. Um, actually, what tends to happen because uh, there's been quite a lot of companies that have done this now is that actually a majority of people, a good number of people, say actually I'm very comfortable where I am. I, I enjoy working in the team that I am, and I'll stay here. Mm. And then some other people will go, okay, I'll want an opportunity to sort of change. And so you you don't often get that situation where a team is left in the lurch. And in any case, the business comes first. And so whilst we want to make sure that different people have got these different opportunities, we won't do it to the detriment of our business. So if nobody wants to work in a particular area, mm. we'll make a, an executive decision that some people will, and they'll be the first in line for the next round of reteaming. So those are the risks. I think I've started to allude to some of the opportunities, which That's is right. personal uh, development, growth, opportunities of sharing what good looks like in a team by team so you work in team a and you re-team into team c okay well like i'm working with some people who've always been in team c but in team a we did this mm. how about we try that out okay. you know, and, and we because we, we can try and do that in our teams that are static but it's a little bit harder what you actually need is somebody with boots on the ground in there you know alongside pair programming coaching mentoring 
things that they've done and seen work and they can bring it in like a sort of seeding of yes. that idea into the new team. So that's that's one of the clear sort of opportunities. Yeah. So again, it's about engagement, about people wanting to learn new things. Yeah. So it might be that you're learning a new part of the business or it might be you're even exposed to a new bit of technology. Mm. Uh, and we know that that's engaging as well. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. So as we come towards the closing up in our time together, I've got some nice warm questions to ask you. So what advice would you give to aspiring tech leaders out there based on your journey and, and things that maybe would make it a little bit smoother and a bit more uh, enlightening as they move up the ladder? I would say if you're, so we have what we call ICs, individual contributors, and often there's a point in people's career where they, they want to look to be maybe a, a, a sort of manager or a leader within engineering. And I think if you're at that sort of stage in, in your career, I was, I, what I'd say is like, try aspects of what it looks like to be a leader within your current role. And mm. you can, you can do that. You can, you can lead meetings. You can, you can do, um, sort of presentations you can take responsibility and ownership for, for some aspect of how your team works uh, and give that a go and then work with your engineering manager about how you can work with them to try yeah. out different aspects of what the engineering manager role might be yeah um, and and you know and and then i think the great thing about sort of what i've seen is in in certain situations is that you can you can try that out and if it doesn't work out you can always go back into your sort of uh, IC role as a and I've seen that happen uh, mm. periodically you know people go okay I want to be a manager and and uh, it used to be like the, the the way to progress in your career used to be you had to be a manager mm. you wanted to get promotion you wanted to you had to manage people and so you got this sort of double whammy of like people who love technology and coding thinking well the only way I can progress my career is if I do the management sort of side of things i'm not don't really like it i'd rather be doing that so they're not doing stuff that they they aren't able to do and they're impacting the people that they're working with but we're mm. missing out on those guys doing great stuff in a, in a technical sense and so a lot of companies now and i think most companies within sort of technology have got this dual track approach to um to to to, to getting on in your sort of career where you can be uh, a manager or you can be a, a an ic uh, yes. alongside that yeah i love the idea of people being able to move up and get back again you know try stuff out and experimentation in career and, and i guess the fact they can come back to it when they feel like they're ready and so as part of that kind of like uh, tips for tech leaders on their journey any books that you would like to mention and say do you know what these are ones you need to get on your reading list so when i when i work with sort of new tech leaders or i'll often suggest that we read a particular book together uh, and I've, I've referenced different aspects of it um, through this through this podcast, so it probably won't be a surprise. But it's it, it's quite a people are very familiar with it. It's 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 a book called Drive by Dan Pink. Like we've talked about how you engage and motivate people, and it basically boils it down to three tenets of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm. Um, and I found that to be quite foundational in my mm. own sort of leadership. So. I'm often thinking about anything that we're doing as a, an engineering team or anything I'm doing with my team is like, how does that allow people to have autonomy, mastery and purpose? Because if I can show that, if I demonstrate that it does, then I know that that's going to be uh, a foundational element to engage them and motivate them. So uh, Drive by Dan Pink. And then what I've been reading more recently is, is something called uh, The Culture Map by Erin Mayer. And it's about how 
um, different cultures because often now when we're and we're certainly in this position because we're a remote first company I'm working with people from my engineering team is all across Europe with lots of different nationalities um, I mean you don't have to be in a remote first company to do that you can there can be lots of situations where you're working across culture and technology mm-hmm. um, and it's been very helpful for me just to understand how different people work and how that changes based on their culture there's different chapters and each chapter takes an aspect of, of working life. So it might take um, decision-making or it might take communication or it might take giving negative feedback. And it explains how different things happen in different cultures hmm. uh, and why it's really helpful to be aware of that because misinterpreting somebody from a different culture is quite common. And I got trapped uh, a few times along with that. Uh, right. It's just a helpful book. It's, it's something that I've enjoyed reading more recently. Yeah. So I've read Drive. I haven't read Culture Map. So that's one on my list now. So here we go, Jonathan. The wish that we spoke about this offline. The genie is here. It's going to offer you a tech wish for your leadership, for your industry. What would you wish for, sir? So I thought a bit about this. And I think I think the one thing that, that continues to sort of irritate me a little bit, and maybe that's just my problem, is annual appraisals or, or something equivalent to that. Um, I, I very much, we work very closely with a team on uh, continuous feedback. And I think that's absolutely the way that mm. you get the most value. But still there's certain things that we're asked to do uh, on a semi-frequent basis that fall into that old bracket of um, we sit down and have a, an annual appraisal. It's born out of my own frustration with this thing that, that really gets me on that and that's the area of of when you when you have those um this has been my experience maybe not everybody's experience is that you sit down for that annual appraisal and you'll you'll go into a room and they'll say oh right it's it's, you've had a great year it's been really uh you know that we achieved that we achieved that and then i've got some bits of feedback maybe we can talk about that and and by that it means constructive feedback Mm. uh and in my um and that's fine. I think we all need to improve. I am not against that, the idea of constructive feedback. But what's been my experience is that the 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 positive bits has taken five minutes and then the the constructive feedback we've we've agonized over for 55 minutes. Mm. And I suppose what I my take home from that is, and, and I'm a strong believer is, is we should identify people's strengths and try to sort of play to those rather than focusing too much. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like if you're, I don't know, if you're in marketing and you can't communicate very well, that's something fundamental to that particular Mm. role. It's the same within engineering. If you're not, if you you just don't spend time testing, then that's going to be a real problem. And so you should absolutely focus on that and, and look to sort of improve on those areas. But aside from that, there'll be some people who are just never very good at um, detail. And however many times you have an appraisal with them and say, oh, well, you know, you don't have, because actually there's other people in the team. And that's the great thing about software teams is we've got people who bring different things to the table. So within a software team, we've got maybe somebody who's really strong and hot on documentation. Mm. They actually really love it and they engage with it. Well, encourage them to do more. Yeah. Don't sort of think, oh, well, everybody's got to do that within the team. And so one thing that I try to do is to maybe to do some stuff, which is basically identifying what your strengths are and then trying to put in place where you can do that more. 
Because mm. again, it comes down to this engagement because if you're strong at it, you're probably really engaged when you're doing it and you can have a big impact because your competency at that particular area mm. is stronger than everyone else. One final sort of example of how to, how this can play out would be a lot of teams will have this. We take it in terms of, of chairing a discussion. So you might have a, a leadership team or you might have a, a particular uh, just software team and you'll have a, a particular situation and there's one person who's there to chair the meeting and we rotate it round. And we rotate it round because we feel like it's fair that everybody should take their turn sort of doing this. Hmm. But what if somebody was really good at that? What if somebody who was uh, 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 chairing meetings was able to get the best out of all the team? They were able to notice who's quiet and not contributing and and, and and very skilled in getting them to bring mm. out their ideas and, and and also to tell somebody who is going off on a tangent no let's park that for now i've seen these people and actually think about that if they're the ones chairing those meetings you're going to get the best overall outcome for that team on that particular topic so yeah. it might be a new feature that you're developing it might be something really sort of key to the business and i think if you do that then you can it's great for them and it, it's great for you all together and so this idea of playing to your strengths is i've, I've meandered a little bit off the topic of appraisals but i, I I've, mm -hmm. I've come down sort of like strengths uh, yes. and that particular route brilliant so the genie is going to try and make that come true for you my friend okay focus well, that'd on be lovely <laughs> focus on the strengths and more regular feedback which is i'm absolutely for that so as we hit the full stop of the podcast, Jonathan, what's your final key takeaway as a gift to our tech leaders out there listening to this podcast? Yeah, I think we've talked around a lot of a lot of topics, but I think what's what's been recent in my mind and and something that I want maybe people to sort of take away is is like use your engineers to their, to their full potential. Mm. Try not to be narrow minded about what they're able to do, and we we spoke about engaging with the customer and the product you know i had times when i used to take um in a, another company i worked to, I used to take an engineer with me on site to, to meet the customers sort of directly and i think what i'm trying to say is don't limit uh what you feel like your engineering team should be doing mm. like push on those doors working with other parts of the business you know we did that with the product team to, to get them involved earlier on in the in the thinking the ideation of mm -hmm. things that can really impact our customers it's engaging for them and it's better for the overall business and so that would be my i suppose key takeaway fantastic so thank you for your time it's been great speaking to you sir yeah likewise it's been great thank you sir cheers and finally Remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like Tech Leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. 
wishing you all a good day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.